Ross had now introduced Chief Inspector William Lorimer of Strathclyde Police, and Maggie felt a stirring of pride as well as an anxiety that this live broadcast should go well. She pressed the record button on the remote control. There would be a recording taking place at police headquarters, she knew, but Lorimer might want to see this more privately. And so might I, thought Maggie, so might I. We're grateful for the full cooperation of the families of these victims, Ross was saying, in making a reconstruction of the movements of Donna Henderson, Lucy Haining, and Sharon Millen. If you were in the vicinity of St. Mungo's Park on the nights of Thursday, October the 21st, Monday, October the 25th, or the 3rd of November, which was a Wednesday, you may be able to help Chief Inspector Lorimer with his inquiries. Watch now and see if there is anything in these reconstructions which jogs your memory at all. Linda Thompson's eyes were focused on the TV screen in front of her. She was dimly aware of James sitting slumped in a corner watching the screen because he had to. They all had to, thought Linda. It was macabre, but it was a part of them now, and there would never be any getting away from it. She watched as the actress taking the part of Donna Henderson left a group of friends and plunged into the darkness of the lane. Her high-heeled shoes clicked over the cobbles. The camera showed them in close-up, and for a few seconds the room was filled with the menace of the darkness and that hollow, lonesome sound of footsteps. Ross's voice returned reassuringly normal, talking about the forensic evidence at the actual scene of the killing. Linda sat quite still, the cat on her knee asleep, oblivious to her turmoil. She stroked the smooth fur eagerly, as if making contact with a living, breathing creature might restore normality, banish this nightmare. The cat purred in its sleep below her active fingers. What had possessed the child to take a shortcut down that sinister-looking lane? But then don't we all believe that bad things happen to other people? Linda shivered. They were other people too, she thought, and Sharon, that still remained a mystery. Would they ever know what had happened after she had caught that bus? The cat jumped off her knee, disturbed by a sudden grip on its fur. Linda allowed herself a swift glance in James's direction. She remembered how she had reacted to the news about Alison Girdley's attack. Her first thought had been, where was James that night? Relief to know that he had been at home with them was tempered by the dreadful guilt that she could even suspect her son of such a crime. He was so quiet, so withdrawn, yet she knew in her heart of hearts that James was totally innocent, didn't she? Now the screen showed the Glasgow area on a map of Scotland. What had once been Strathclyde region was coloured in green with a red dot indicating the city. The scene moved to a helicopter shot of the River Clyde and the bridges, which ran north to south. Then the camera panned out over the city and Nick Ross used the phrase, Dear Green Place, 
as the scenes showed the city's familiar skyline, then the stretches of parkland, Bella Houston, famous for its papal visit, Queen's Park, Kelvin Grove near the university, and finally St. Mungo's Park. Solly was acutely aware of the killer. He would be crouched over his own television set, gloating. Solly felt that he was beginning to know this man now. He would have had a nasty shock when his attack on Alison Girdley failed. His ego would have been badly bruised, and he would have retreated in fear and anger like an animal snarling over lost prey. As the helicopter circled St. Mungo's Park, Solly gazed at the peripheral buildings, a church spire, old sandstone tenements, and then the grey blocks of high-rise flats, bleak and impersonal like tombstones stretching to the sky.